Glad that you guys are here. I'm excited to be here. Some of you guys remember me from, I think it was a few weeks ago, but uh, my name is, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you guys. My name is Pastor Alfonso. I'm one of the teaching pastors from our Woodway campus, and uh, I'm glad to be here to talk about world religions. We're going to be starting the uh, night on atheism. Some of you may know, some of you may not know, I grew up in a home that was atheistic. My parents were not Christians. They didn't go to church. They did uh, drugs, and my family was involved in gangs, and I eventually got involved in gangs. My mother had 15 brothers and sisters. Every one of them were involved in gangs and drugs. Out of all 15 of my mom's brothers and sisters, 10 of them are dead. My grandmother buried 10 of her kids because they were all involved in gangs and drugs. We didn't have a concept of God in our home, and so we were atheism. We were atheistic. And so my brother and I ended up getting involved in gangs and drugs. I got involved in gangs and ended up leading one of the gangs from San Diego. And my brother got involved in drugs. He, inv he ended up in witchcraft and went to Oregon, northern of California, where we grew up in San Diego. And my brother got involved in such witchcraft, his mind got demented from all the drugs and the Satanism that he ended up in an asylum. To this day, my brother's 42 years old and he's injected every month by a psychiatrist with a drug called, uh, um, oh, what's the drug called? I'll think of it in a minute. But anyways, he uh, is on a strong anti-psychotic and he's gonna be like that the rest of his life. He's, in technical terms, a vegetable. And my other brother, he's younger and he's been in prison since the time he was 19 years old, served 10 years in prison, and then he got out and they wanna give him another 15 years for like attempted murder, something like that, so he gets like crazy on people. He gets like real like kung fu on people, so he's kinda way out there. And I'm the oldest brother and I got involved in gangs and drugs myself and ended up getting kicked out of the Marine Corps for homicidal, suicidal tendencies, but don't worry, I'm not gonna kill anyone here tonight, I hope. And I got kicked out of the Marine Corps. And I'll, I'll share with you, you know, that we grew up in a home that didn't have God. And as a result, we got involved in a lot of trouble. So I want to share with you tonight atheism. But I want to show it to you through the four most powerful men that represent atheism. Today in the world, they're called the four horsemen. And these four horsemen are represented by Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens. These four guys are known as the four horsemen like from the book, Book of Revelation. And they are the four strongest guys in atheism today. One of the four just so happened to die a couple years ago here in Houston. Uh, Richard Dawkins, I mean, it was uh, Christopher Hitchens died here at MD Anderson. He died of esophagus, cancer of, of the esophagus in his throat. So he died right here in MD Anderson in Houston. But the other three are still alive and they still write books against Christianity. And I want to share with you guys briefly, very briefly, what these guys represent and what their biggest complaint is against God. Let's start with the first one. This is uh, what we would call the problem of morals. Now, problem of morals is from Sam Harris. And the reason why these guys are such ardent atheists is because prior to 9-11, how many of you guys remember 9-11 when that happened in 2001? When 9-11 happened, it changed the entire world and it changed the scope of atheists. Atheists had a definition and the definition of atheism prior to 9-11 
was defined as the belief that there are no gods and that whatever powers exist in the universe are purely natural and not supernatural. After 9-11, these guys redefined atheism and it is now defined as an intense anger against God and religion, also known, known as anti-theism. Theism is the Greek word for God and anti in Greek means against. So it means against God. So we went from atheism to anti-theism. And that's what these guys represent. The first one of these guys is Sam Harris. And this is the problem of morals. Sam Harris wrote a book called The Moral Landscape, as you see here up in the screen. He wrote a book that sent tremors all around the world. Everybody read it and wanted to know what he thought, his thoughts on morals and why we don't need God to define morality. How Morality really is a product of evolution. And so here's what he said after he wrote his entire book. Here's what he says in the book quickly. Sam Harris says that well-being is the only intelligible basis for morality, not religion. In, in simple terms, he's saying the only thing that really defines morality is evolution and not really God. Uh, that means that what is good for you is good for you, and what is good for me is good for me. So whatever you think is good for you, whatever that is, is good for you. Whatever's good for me is good for me. And as long as those things contribute to the well-being of the community, then we believe it's good morality. If it doesn't contribute, then perhaps it's not. So Sam Harris says, I don't believe that God is the one that defines what's good and what's not good. I don't think God has that authority, he says in his book. We think that it is evolution and that morality is defined by what people say is good and what's not good. There's a problem with that. And I wanna share with you what the problem is. Right now, if you were to go over to Ethiopia in Africa, there is a tribe out there in one of the most primitive regions of the world right now in Africa. And they're called the Kara tribe people. And the Kara tribe people have a village, and in the village, they believe that if a baby is born in their village among their people, and within two years, if his top two teeth come in before his bottom teeth come up, then they have to kill the baby. And they call this the Menji Rite. And what it means is this, is that we believe that if a baby is born and his two top teeth come in before his bottom teeth come in, then he's really a cursed baby and we don't want him to curse the village because if he curses the village, then the products are not gonna grow, we're not gonna be able to grow fruit, we're not gonna be able to produce the land, and we're all gonna starve. So they do what's called the Minji Rite, and the Minji Rite means that they grab the baby right in front of the mom and they throw him into the Omo River region. And there's this long river in Ethiopia that's called the Omo River. And today, if you go there today, right now, you can get on a plane, fly over to Africa. My daughter's done it. And if you fly there, you're gonna find that they will do that to the baby. Now, they say that what they are doing is right. That for them, it is a good thing to enact their Minji right and throw it in the, in the river. Now imagine if you're an anthropologist and you're studying at Texas A&M or wherever, and you go over there and you wanna be an anthropologist with your husband your spouse, and you become pregnant, you have the baby nine months, and within the next year, the baby begins to have teeth that come in from the top, 
and they grab the baby, and right in front of you as an American, they throw the baby in the river. If you go to their top officials, their police, so to speak, they're going to say, this is the best thing for the village. And as long as you're here, we get to do what we believe is best, what is the overall well-being for the community. And you're dying inside. Why? Because the sacred has been torn in your life. And so you as a mom, you feel violated. But they're going to tell you that what you're feeling is not right. Because we believe that we need to protect the village, and so our morality, as it's evolved with us, believes that we need to kill your baby for the betterment of the community. So we have a huge problem. Sam Harris, one of the great atheists in the world, says that we don't need God to define what's right and wrong. If God says that we should not murder, then we don't need to listen to him. We need to listen to what the people say and what the community says and what you think is good. This is what Sam Harris says in his book, but I want you to know that's not true. It can't possibly be true. Listen, friends, if this is true, then we have to let the president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, continue to develop uranium to kill his own people. He believes that building uranium is a good thing. And the United Nations in America saying, no, you can't do that. You can't build nuclear weapons. This is not a good idea. But Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, believes that it's good for him. So if it's good for him, he could do whatever he wants and kill whoever he wants. And Sam Harris would say, well, as long as it's good for the community, then it's good for him and God should stay out of it, period. That's insane. Did you know that in our own system here in the United States, we have nine Supreme Court justices. Has anybody ever stopped to think about why we have nine Supreme Court justices, the most powerful people in America? Why not eight? Because you're going to have people conflict about what is good and what's not good. Four are going to say, yes, we should kill babies. Four are going to say, no, we should not. And they leave one extra to make that deciding factor. Why? Because none of us can agree on what's right and wrong. Nobody. So we have to look to something else to define what is right and what is wrong. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who defines that through the word of God. It's the Bible that tells us what is right and what is wrong. So Sam Harris is not right. Well, we have another problem. Sam Harris, apart from him, he's got a friend, and the friend is Christopher Hitchens. This is the problem of violence. And so Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, became very famous. Everybody and their grandmother read it, and it's called God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens. And Christopher Hitchens is a little different from Sam Harris. He says, you know what? We don't need religion because religion is violent and it kills people and it's no good. It just poisons everything. So we don't need it. So here's what he said in his book. He said, quote, religion poisons everything and religion kills. He goes on to say, violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism and tribalism and bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive toward children. Organized religion must have a great deal on its conscience. And then he quotes from his best friend, who we're going to talk about in a minute, Richard Dawkins, who Richard Dawkins says this, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. It means this made-up God. He is jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. He's a misog misogynist, a homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. He's so smart, he comes up with all these words to say that this God that is fake, this God is that way. 
And so Christopher Hitchens believes that his friend, Richard, his friend Christopher Hitchens is right, that God is a God of violence because he killed people in the Old Testament. Let me put it to you this way. If you were in the 1940s during the Holocaust when Hitler was killing 6 million Jews and 25 million people entirely, would you have opposed if God would have sent Joshua into Germany and said, you need to go and stop Hitler? Do you think that any one of us would have stopped God from saying, send in Joshua? God, you can't send Joshua in because it's just being violent. Do you think any one of us, do you think any Jewish person would have protested? And so Christopher Hitchens and, and Richard Dawkins say, well, you know, God is violent. Well, when we look at the Old Testament and we really study it, we see that God had justified reasons to some degree for what he was doing. Did you know that today, you know, people will say, like Christopher Hitchens, well, God even, even killed children in the Old Testament. Well, if you think about that concept and you think about Islam today, many of you seen that movie Sniper and the opening scene is a kid who's walking out about 11 years old and he's got a huge bomb right inside his coat and his mom is walking with him. Why did they portray it that way? Because that is a classic portrayal of what we see today in Afghanistan and in the Middle East Islam, militant Islam, and how they're killing our soldiers. They use kids. So when God said to Joshua, I want you to go into Islam, let's say he would have said that, I want you to wipe everybody out, we can understand why God would have said that. Because in a, in a militant type religion like that, they want to kill everybody. And when you see the people and you study the people that were surrounding, surrounding Israel at the time in the Old Testament, they were violent. They had a lot of hatred. They did some horrendous things, and God stopped them. And so here Christopher Hitchens says, well, we shouldn't believe in a God because he seems too violent in the Old Testament, never once realizing that God was actually trying to stop violence. Well, Christopher Hitchens isn't the only one that doesn't like God. The third person here in the Four Horsemen is Daniel Dennett. Daniel Dennett is a brilliant, brilliant philosopher. And Daniel Dennett wrote a book called Breaking the Spell. And everybody read it. Everybody that's against God read it. And here's basically what he says. Daniel Dennett says in his book, religion really is a spell. Christianity is a spell. And it's a spell that must be broken and broken now. Daniel Dennett went on to say, most religious people really don't believe in God. They fervently believe in the belief of God. And so, let me tell you in simple terms what Daniel Dennett, the great philosopher atheist, is saying. He's saying, you know what? You guys really don't believe in God. You guys really believe in the belief in God. Let me tell you what he means by that. He means like saying, you know, we all know that Santa Claus doesn't exist. We know that he doesn't exist. But because all the kids believe that he exists, we believe that they believe that Santa Claus exists, and so there is a belief in Santa Claus. Same thing can be said about Sherlock Holmes. When Doyle invented Sherlock Holmes, most, most kids think that Sherlock Holmes really, really exists. So there is a belief in a Sherlock Holmes who doesn't exist, and this is what Daniel Dennett is saying. He's saying there are people that believe that God exists, but God doesn't really exist, and so you believe in the belief that God exists. 
So God really doesn't exist. So he writes this huge book to say that one thing. Well, if that's true, somebody needs to explain to me the concept of sin. I mean, how, how do we give an account for sin? How do we give an account for every scholar in the world believes that Jesus of Nazareth existed? Nobody can deny that Jesus as a person existed. Let me give you another thing. How is it that when we deal with funerals, and I do a lot of funerals, how is it that we have no concept to reconcile why we continue to mourn and lament and have memories, good and bad, of the people that we once loved? I mean, you would have thought that evolution in and of itself would have devised a apparatus in the brain that when a loved one dies, that all memories of that person cease to exist. That would only be logical. If evolution were true without God and God did not exist, you would think that as sophisticated as human beings are, and we are immensely sophisticated, you would have thought that we would have developed naturally an apparatus, a mechanism in the brain that would shut off memory. But why is it that after a person dies and they cease to exist and you'll never see them again, how is it that for the rest of your life you will continue to have memories and fondness and love and brokenness in your heart that you'll never see that person again? Why didn't life devise a way to shut that off? I'll tell you why. Because God said in the book of Ecclesiastes 3.14 that he has set eternity in the human heart. God placed eternity in the human heart and devised a way for develop emotions and memory and good times and fondness because that's how he designed life. And so when we give our life to Jesus, we continue to incorporate everything that God designed humanity to exist for. And this is why he, 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 he had eternity in mind. He created us to be eternal. He created for relationships to last. This is why funerals are so painful. So if I were talking to, to Daniel Dennett, I would ask him, you need to explain to me why we have this problem, knowing how sophisticated we are as human beings. But he doesn't have an answer because I've read his books. And the fourth person, the fourth greatest enemy of Christianity is the name Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins wrote a book that sold over two million copies all over the world, and that was just in English. He sold another 600,000 in German. Richard Dawkins wrote this book, The God Delusion. This guy here, Richard Dawkins, is probably the fiercest, ardent, most militant atheist in the entire world. He wants to completely eradicate Christianity. It's his one mission. Today, right now, he's writing books for little kids to convince them that Christianity doesn't exist. He went from writing New York Times bestsellers for adults, he shifted all his attention to kids, writing kids' books, because he believes that if I can get the kids at a young age, they'll never believe in Christianity. And so Richard Dawkins, when you read his books, because he's a biologist from Oxford, he really thinks that the problem of science, and he believes that science disproves Christianity. And that's his entire impetus. That's his entire motivation. He wants to convince you and I that science somehow disproves Christianity, and it disproves that God exists. And he does so by creating this title, The God Delusion. 
And for some of you that may not know, when you have an illusion, an illusion is something that has the probability of existing. A delusion is when you have evidence to prove that something doesn't exist. So if I say that I'm seeing pink elephants in the room flying, that's not an illusion, that's a delusion. A delusion, that means there is evidence to prove that there are no pink elephants and they certainly don't fly. There's evidence to prove that. So he writes a book called The God Delusion, that there's actually evidence to prove that God doesn't exist. So he wrote this book, everybody read it and thought, yeah, he's right. Science somehow proves that God doesn't exist. Here's what he said. Richard Dawkins said in his book, The God Delusion, he said, Christians are delusional because they continue to hold a persistently false belief in the face of strong contradictory and scientific evidence that God does not exist. But is that true? Is that really true? Well, I've read a lot of stuff. I've earned a lot of degrees. I've studied science. I've studied all of that. And what I've found in all my studies, 18 years in the academic world at the university, I have found that science actually proves that God exists. In 1960s, there was a guy, he was a chemist from Princeton, and this chemist was the name of Robert Dyke. And Robert Dyke developed a theory that's called the anthropic principle. The anthropic principle. And from Princeton, he said, I believe that as I study the entire universe, I have found that all of science actually proves that God exists because the world is so finely tuned. The more that I study the universe, the more that I study our galaxy, the more that I study our planet, the more that I study science, I'm finding that there is enough evidence, overwhelming evidence, to prove that there is a fine tuning in the universe. Some things are so precise that any movement, any shifting, even a slight degree, life could not exist. And so Hugh Ross, through the work of Robert Dyke, has found 140 characteristics in the universe and in the planet that prove that we are a fine-tuned planet meaning we are the only planet that is so fine-tuned for life to exist on planet Earth. Let me show you just a few of those 140 characteristics from hardcore science that show that this planet and this planet alone was designed to sustain human life and only this planet. For example, some of you already know from school that you have learned there's one dial that talks about the sun. And we know that the sun is what? 93 million miles away. That means Robert Dyke would say 92 million miles away, no life on planet Earth. 94 million miles away, the sun from the Earth, you have no life on planet Earth. Did you know that on planet Earth, we have another little dial, fine-tuned dial? And this fine-tuned dial is oxygen. And oxygen on planet Earth, did you know, is 
21%. Did you know that if you have 22% oxygen on planet Earth, nothing will exist, nothing can survive. Did you know that if you have 20% oxygen on planet Earth, nothing can survive? Everything would die, nothing could exist. Well, let's talk about the ocean. If we were to take a look at the ocean, did you know that in the ocean, you have about 3.4% salt in the ocean? 3.4% salt. 4% salt in the ocean? Nothing could exist. No life could exist on planet Earth. If we have 2% salt, nothing could exist. You wanna know what's interesting? That not only does the ocean have exactly 3.4% salt, but did you know that we have another fine-tuning element called the body? And your body has the exact 3.4% salt in your body, that's right. 4% salt in your body, you will die. 2% salt in your body, you will die. Science proves that you are designed amazingly to live on planet Earth. Well, did you know that even in our solar system, we have another little dial? And did you know that the sun or the moon has 40% has 60 gravity? You know where the other 40% is? From the sun, that's right. Some of you guys remember that from high school. You have 60% from the moon and 40% from the sun. If you switch that and make it reverse, no life could exist on planet Earth. Did you know that? These are just a few of the characteristics that we see here on Earth. Let me give you one more. Did you know that the Earth on this axis is 23.5% tilted. That means we really should be walking like this. Everywhere we go, we should be walking like this. But because the Earth is tilted exactly 23.5 degrees, we are able to sustain life on planet Earth. If you have 22% tilt, guess what? Everything would freeze up. If you have 24%, guess what? You would fry up. So you either freeze up or fry up, but you're gonna do one or the other. And so science shows conclusively that the Earth has these dials, fine-tuned dials, and you click it one shot to the left or one shot to the right, any one of these dials, you cannot have human life on planet Earth. Now there is an institution called SETI. SETI Institution the search for extraterrestrials. And did you know that people give millions of dollars for this SETI institution to look for life on other planets? You know what they have found? Zero. There is no life on no other planet anywhere in the entire galaxy. And quite frankly, if you talk to Richard Dawkins, which I've read his stuff, he will admit that there is no life in any part of the galaxy. And so Richard Dawkins has to say, well, maybe there is life in another universe, so he calls it the multiverse universe. That means that we have multiple universes that we've never searched before, and maybe there we have life. But every scientist knows that in order to have life, you need to have water. And we have no planet that sustains water anywhere. The closest we have is one of the moons from our planet Jupiter. It's our largest planet. And one of its moons is called the Europa. Europa has fissures in its ice. 
That's the best we have to indicate that maybe it got heated up and the ice cracked a little bit, but there is no liquid water anywhere in the universe to prove that life exists. Let me ask some of you guys here that are contemplating whether God exists or not. How is it that the entire universe is made up of the same hydrogen, oxygen, the same atoms, the same quantum atoms, mesons and nuons, how is it that only planet Earth sustains life? Because Robert Dyke said in 1961 that the Earth is fine-tuned by God to sustain life only on planet Earth. And the science doesn't disprove God. The science is true. Science proves that God exists. Now, let me tell you why these guys are really angry at God. See, I did a little more research, and I want to know why Richard Dawkins and all these guys, Charles Darwin and all these guys, I wanted to know why they're really atheists. Is it because they really believe that science disproves God? Is it really because they believe that morals originate with people and not with God? Is that really the truth? Let me share some very powerful stuff. Did you know Frederick Nietzsche from the Enlightenment era? Frederick Nietzsche was one of the greatest atheist philosophers in the entire world. I'm gonna show you his picture here. That's Frederick Nietzsche. And Frederick Nietzsche had a father who was a pastor. His father was a Lutheran pastor. And his father died when Frederick Nietzsche was about four years old. And he was so hurt and so devastated, he got so angry at God that he said, God is dead and wrote a lot of literature at the university level to prove that God didn't exist. Frederick Nietzsche, by the way, was the famous philosopher that said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But even that's a lie. That's not true. Talk to any psychologist. They'll say, whatever doesn't kill you just makes you suffer for the rest of your life. But he was angry, not because of science or because he's atheist. He became an atheist because his father, who was a pastor who loved God, died, and he couldn't understand that. How about Jean-Paul Sartre? Did you know that Jean-Paul Sartre was one of the greatest philosophers in the entire world? And many people don't know that Jean-Paul Sartre also lost his father at a very young age. But you know what made it worse for him? When he was 12 years old and needed the love of his mother, his mother went and remarried at the age of 12, and he didn't want her to. And his uncle, who was Albert Schweitzer, one of the great theologian, Christian theologians of the century, kept on influencing them. But the mom wanted to go and remarry. So she remarried, Jean-Paul Sartre's mom remarried it when Jean-Paul was 12. Takes her to live with the other guy, and they put him in a school where he is bullied and bullied and bullied. And it was from there that he began to hate God for having killed his father and his mother remarried. How about Charles Darwin? Many of us don't realize that Charles Darwin, you know, who wrote the, the book that revolutionized everything through the Scopes Monkey Trial, Charles Darwin also lost his mom when he was 10 years old. Did you know that Charles Darwin was studying to be a pastor? He was actually in school to be a pastor, and his mom died when he was 10. But worse than that, when he was in school, his daughter Annie, at the age of eight years old, his daughter died, and he prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to spare her life, and she died. 
And it was then that Charles Darwin began seeking evolution to disprove God. Well, they're not the only ones. If you look at these guys that I've been talking about, you'll find it very interesting that Christopher Hitchens, one of the most fierce atheists who just died here in Houston a couple years ago. You know why he's angry at God? Not because science is true, although science is true. It's not because of that. It's because his mom, his mom ended up having an affair with another guy. And you know who this guy was? This guy was a pastor. His name was Luke Timothy Bryan. And she had an affair with a pastor. And the pastor, this guy, took her to Greece and they both committed suicide. He convinced her to commit suicide so that nobody would find out. Well, guess who at the age of 22 years old had to fly out to Greece and pick up his dead mother's body? That's right, Christopher Hitchens, he did. And that's why he wrote a book, God is Not Great. So he's really not trying to say that God doesn't exist, it's he's angry at God. Oh, but he's not the only one. We have another guy that we have talked about tonight by Daniel Dennett, the great philosopher. Did you know that his father died when he was young in an unexplained car crash, in a plane crash that nobody explained to him? And he wanted answers and answers and he begged God and asked, why don't I know, why are they not telling me why my father died in this plane crash? He never found the answers and became angry towards God. He's not the only one. How about Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is the most fierce atheist in the entire world today, right now, as I speak. And you will read in his books that he has said that when he was your age, his mother and his father sent him off to a boarding school where it was a religious boarding school and they had to pray and they had to read their Bible and there were monks and priests there. And one of them violated him. One of them began to molest him and to do things to him. And he told them to stop and they didn't, and he became angry. Every one of these guys that I've talked to you tonight, they don't just believe that God doesn't exist, they have a reason for wanting to believe that God doesn't exist, and it's because deep down they're angry at God. And I had every reason to be angry too. I had every reason, my father was an alcoholic. My father drank his whole life, I never saw my father sober. He's dead now, I got a brother in prison, my other brother is on Haldol, the antipsychotic that's prescribed only by psychiatrists because my brother is demented. He's got schizophrenia. He wants to kill himself all the time. My mother couldn't stand that I went to church. I started going to church when I was about 18 years of age. I was getting kicked out of the Marine Corps and I was angry. I didn't know who God was. I didn't believe in God, but I was just angry. And I went to church because one of my friends from the same gang, he died. When he died, I went to meet his sister. And when I met her, she invited me to church. And quite frankly, I, I went to church with her because I thought she was so cute. I just wanted to kiss her. That's all, that's all I cared. I didn't want to go to church. Are you kidding me? All I wanted to do was kiss her. I wasn't Christian. I was angry. And she invited me. And I came to a service just like what you're in. And at the end of that service, I raised my hand to accept Jesus. When I raised my hand to accept Jesus, I gave my life, I began crying, God moved in my heart. I'd never experienced that. I'd never experienced that. I came from gangs and drugs, I'd never experienced that. I got up from that moment, we went to another church, I ended up getting married to her. We got married, me and my wife, and we moved to another city to get out of the gangs. 
I went and gave my testimony in a church 20 years ago. Pastor asked me to share my testimony and I shared everything about it. And a gentleman, I kid you not what I'm about to tell you, a gentleman came up to me afterwards. He was about 65 years old, he was retired, came up to me and said, you know what, Alfonso, while you were speaking, God spoke to me right in the back and told me to tell you that you're called to ministry, you're called to be a pastor, you're called to preach, you're called to teach. And not only did God tell me that, God told me to send you to Bible college. I said, what? He said, God told me to send you to Bible college and to pay for it. I said, you must be kidding. He said, I ain't kidding. I know exactly what I heard. I said, I got kicked out of high school in the 11th grade for being one of the leaders of the Del Sol gang. What do you mean? I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm not smart. And nothing smart about me. The best grade I ever got in all my school life was a D minus. Yeah. He said, I don't care how dumb you are. I'm going to send you to school and I'm going to pay for it. I said, well, you can done waste your money, but you do whatever you want. He put me in school. The next semester, I was in school. I kid you not. I went to school. I earned myself an associate's degree in biblical studies, graduated 4.0 summa cum laude, a degree in biblical studies. I then got a scholarship to go to a Bible college and earned a bachelor's degree in theology, graduated at the top of my class, valedictorian. I actually got to give a speech in front of the students. There I was sent over to Azusa Pacific and the principal there enrolled me into his school at Azusa Pacific and I earned, five years later, I earned a master's degree in divinity, graduated at the top of my class. I was awarded the most outstanding student of the Azusa Pacific campus in Los Angeles. From there, I went over to Bethel Seminary, spent another five years working on a second master's degree in theological studies on biblical exegesis. Graduated at the top of my class, 4.0. I was only one of two that graduated at the top of that class in the entire seminary. From there, I went on to Bethel University in St. Paul and spent another four years working on a doctoral degree. I not only graduated at the top of my class, but I was only one of three uh, students out of 47 of us, I was one of three that wrote my doctoral dissertation in half the time and graduated early because I was at the top of my class. So this little Mexican gang member, Beaner from South San Diego, that was dumb and stupid and imbecilic, came out the smartest in every school he attended. That's what God did in my life when I chose to not be angry at him anymore like these guys, gave my life to Jesus, and God changed my life. In the last 25 years, I have spent talking to people like you, adults, college students, people everywhere. And I want to tell you that these guys are wrong. I've studied what they've studied. I've learned what they've learned. I've gone to school. And everything they're talking about is not true. God exists. God is real. And God wants to change your life.